I'm part of a federal pilot with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And this project that Jordan and I worked on where we were tracking ski resort workers in Oregon got picked up by the feds and they said, that's really cool. For the first time, I'm gonna present some of these results we've seen where we can actually see the movement of workers through time and space in the industry. Hey now, Mountain Crew, this episode of the Mountain Works podcast was recorded live at the Mountain Works Assembly, which was part of the 2022 Mountain Works Conference in Bend, Oregon. About 450 ski area employees from throughout the Northwest and even beyond were in attendance. And for the first time ever at the Mountain Works Assembly, the entire ski area roster, top to bottom, was in the same room having conversations that touch everybody and include everybody. The three themes of the day were a little bit of history lessons, looking back at the legacy of Northwest ski areas, the legacy that is currently being inherited by a whole new generation of leaders in the ski industry. Another theme was really what we look like now. What's the current makeup of the workforce in the ski industry? And the third theme was Okay, if we're inheriting this legacy, what are we going to do with it? It's not ours. It's just our turn. And when we look at it that way, that means we have to have big conversations about global weirding, career choices, the economy, training. These were some really big picture topics with a whole slew of experts on the stage. We really do think you're going to enjoy these next few episodes of the Mountain Works podcast, created by and for ski area employees in the Northwest. Jordan Elliott. And before we get into the bulk of today's episode, I'm going to fill you in on a little bit more of what the Mountain Works assembly was like. It was basically an amateur makeup, mock parody, whatever you want to call it, of a talk show. We knew we had a lot of big topics to get through the day, and that required a lot of time in the chair. So we had to break things up. And a big way to do that was my very special helper, uh, an MC, Shannon Kelly out of Bend, Oregon. Shannon Kelly is a stand-up comedian. She hosts her own variety show. She MCs so many cool events all over. Uh, she was just really the right pick to help guide us through this day. So through these episodes, you'll be hearing a lot of my voice, a lot of Shannon's voice. This is what she sounds like. We want to make sure that you all feel really welcome here today. It's our job to keep you oriented, to give you a good time while you're also learning. And I do think that the talk show format that we put this into was the right move because we could also use it for the podcast, right? We had people coming up. We were able to have presentations, mix that in with some time on the couch and some conversation. It worked really well. And we even able to make it kind of a metaphor for training. We know that Mountain Works is 
workforce education for the ski industry in the Northwest. And what better way to really drive that point home than to use Shannon as, you know, the expert trainer in emceeing events and these sorts of things to train me in my first time ever being on stage in this way. So that was pretty fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And thanks so much for Shannon uh, being willing to do that for us. So now it's time to dive in to the first episode that we pulled from the Mountain Works Assembly. And it's from a presentation by Damon Runberg. Damon is a state economist with the Oregon Employment Department covering Central Oregon and the Klamath Basin. He calculates monthly employment and unemployment estimates for the area's counties. Additionally, Damon tracks various economic indicators critical to the region and the state economy. Now, I first got plugged in with Damon back in 2014, I think it was, when he had approached me with a cool concept for a ski industry workforce jobs data study. That's a mouthful. Basically, what he said he could do is track the industry types that ski area employees worked in before they showed up at a ski area for the winter. And then he could see what industry type they went to in the summer. And again, did they return to the ski industry? It was a really cool concept. And some of you might remember he presented those findings at the conference back then. Some of you may have attended that session. It was called something along the lines of where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Lifty Joe. It was such a cool little micro study in the state of Oregon that it piqued the interest of other employment economists in multiple states and even at the federal level. And Damon's going to talk about that here. But basically what he's been able to do is track the ski industry workforce across state lines and across industry types, something that's never really been done before. At the end, he's going to do something really cool, I think. And that's talk about the water workforce. If you know me, you know that's kind of all I talk about. It's very, very interesting. All of the jobs that touch water, be it frozen or flowing. There are job security things that we can talk about with the seasonality of those job types. And there are climate implications that we can all advocate for. The theme of that water workforce concept is something you're going to hear about in subsequent episodes and probably from me forever. But without further ado, let's jump in here. This is Damon Runberg's presentation, which you can find the slide deck for if you check out those show notes. Tracking the ski industry workforce at the Mountain Works Assembly. I, as an economist, am required to show you all a bunch of graphs and figures and numbers. You all are graphs and figures and numbers people, right? Right? Oh, God, I hope so. Um, so, no, I'm kidding. I did figure out back in 2002 when I was first introduced to PowerPoint, uh, Microsoft PowerPoint, anyone familiar? Um, that you could have a sexy overlay of a pretty picture behind your graphs, which makes people somewhat more interested in your graphs. So hopefully that's okay. I also need to somewhat apologize to the left side of the group. I kinked my neck falling off my snowmobile the other day, and it's like really hard to look over there. So I might do one of these just to acknowledge you all 
uh, it turns out you should make sure you have your carbides on your skis. Um, for anyone who does snowmobiles, it's really important for steering, it turns out. So anyways, um, with that, we're going to talk about the ski resort workforce and what we're seeing there. But before we start talking about the ski resorts, we kind of need to back up a little bit and talk about what is going on in the labor, mark more, labor market more broadly, because ski resorts are not isolated businesses that don't interact with sort of the broader workforce. You all are competing with other businesses for the workers that are in your establishments, in your businesses. What's going on everywhere else? If you, if you do a quick scan of, you know, any Google search of, of challenges that are facing ski resorts, you'll see all sorts of headlines that look like this. Yeah, you guys can see them here. Big conversations about, you know, epic crowds colliding with epic labor shortage at ski areas. By the way, great headline right there. Pretty good, huh? And I think this video went, this picture went viral too, didn't it? That was at Vail, I think, if anyone remembers that. Um, but you can look across the United States, headline upon headline from Utah, from Colorado, from Washington, from Oregon, about businesses in the ski industry struggling to find workers, struggling to maintain workers in today's uh, very tight labor market that we're seeing. In fact, it's not something that's just unique to us. This one kind of shocked me in the bottom right here. Might be hard for you to read in the very back there, but uh, it says ski industry calls for government intervention to get workers into NZ. There's no, there's no state with NZ. New Zealand <laughs> uh, before the Aussies arrive. Uh, yeah, this is not a problem that we're having just here in the United States, right? Workforce challenges in the ski, uh, ski industry are not unique. Uh, and honestly, they're not unique across the labor market more broadly. The best way that we could quantify what the labor market conditions look like, by the way, first graph, okay? You can count them on your hands. You can see I'm going to show. But sexy overlay behind it, okay? So just don't, don't get too caught off guard there. The best way that we could quantify what's going on in the labor market is to talk about the supply of labor relative to the demand for that labor. And the way that we do that is we, we, we use as a shortcut, the supply of labor of available laborers, unemployed workers on one side, and the demand for labor are the people who are hiring, so job ads. So these are the two things. We could put these together into one ratio. And the ratio in this case is the number of unemployed workers per job ad. And this graphic here is showing us that relationship in the Pacific Northwest. Oregon, Washington, Idaho combined. Sorry, Montana. Sorry, Northern California. Sorry, Alaska. Anyone from British Columbia here? Sorry to you too. You're not included here, but this is Oregon, Washington, Idaho. It would look similar if we did the national numbers as well. And so before the pandemic began, it might be hard for you to see dates here, but this chunk all right here is before the pandemic. 15, 16, 17, 18, it was pretty normal here in the Pacific Northwest to have roughly two to three, maybe, you know, one and a half to two, depending on the month, unemployed workers per job ad that's out there. So if you're a business that's hiring, that means on average, you could expect one to two, maybe three people who's on, who are unemployed to apply for that job. That's all on average. It's not actually like, you know, you might have way more than that or way fewer, but that's sort of the, the way we could think of this. We can see the spike, uh, talk about buzzwords that we've used too much in the last couple of years, at least for us who are economists, the buzzword that we've used too much is unprecedented. Uh, but this spike, we've got all sorts of charts that look insane, and this is one of those. Uh, we jumped in the Pacific Northwest to a ratio of six unemployed workers per job ad. That was a combination of everyone getting laid off here in, in Deschutes County, where we're at today in the Bend area. Uh, one in five workers were lost in a one-month period of time. One in five workers lost their job. 
Okay, so that was a huge jump in supply. And by the way, right after we let all those people go, nobody was hiring. So this ratio blew up six to one. But you can see really quickly, once we started the reopening of the economy, that ratio dropped really quickly. And you might have heard this before, but you're hearing you know, all these conversations nationally about this labor shortage. Where the hell are all the workers at? What's going on? We're trying to hire and we can't find them. What the data shows us is that the supply of workers is so tight because guess where they went? Back to work. They're working. <laughs> the labor force is bigger than it was before the pandemic, and unemployment rates across the Pacific Northwest are basically at historically low levels. They all went back to work. So this ratio, when we look at the supply versus the demand, is really, really low today. We're sitting at less than one unemployed worker per job ad, 0.7 unemployed people. That's an awkward type of person to apply for your job, less than a person there. Uh, but per job ad, and that ratio got small because all these folks went back to work, but also the demand is still super high right now for those workers. There's just not a lot left in the market. And so it's driven that down to incredibly low levels. To give it a concept for what demand has looked like in some of our ski communities, once again, I'll use Ben as an example because I live here and I know the number is just stuck in my head. Um, the number of job ads in the Bend area this March, so as we prepare for the busy summer tourism season, was up 12% from last year. Sounds like a lot, right? The number of job ads this March compared to March of 2019, before the pandemic began, 85% higher than before the pandemic. 85% higher. Guess how many more unemployed people there are here, though? 250. So we have... 3,000 more job ads and only 250 more unemployed people. That is a warm body issue right there. So this is a broader issue facing the economy in our communities in the Pacific Northwest and a, and a pretty big issue facing the ski industry as well. And we in Oregon, this is switching from Pacific Northwest to Oregon specifically because we've got great data here. Uh, my agency, we quarterly do what we call a job vacancy server where we send out surveys to businesses and ask them questions like, hey, what the heck is going on with those job ads that you have? We've been doing this for years, since 2013. Just saying like, hey, you got job ads, tell us about them, not just the quantity, but you know, you know, how much do you pay? Um, what sort of benefits do you offer? All this great information. So through time, we could sort of see the struggles that businesses are facing and also sort of the opportunities that they're seeing. And on this graphic, what you can see here is that we get to the fall of 2021. You can see just 2021 in general off the charts. We just blew up the number of job vacancies, the total number of businesses that are hiring right now. But more importantly, if we look even closer, and it was probably hard for many of you to see in the back, the dark blue section is the portion of those job ads that are being identified as difficult to fill by businesses. They can't fill them, or they're having a real hard time filling them. And the best thing about this survey is that we ask follow-up questions about why it's difficult to fill. You know what the top four answers are? Seasonal, part-time, low-wage, and unfavorable working conditions. Those are the top four responses to why these job ads uh, are difficult to fill. Now, I don't know about you all, but there are some unique nuances to the ski industry. Uh, one is that it's highly seasonal. Uh, two, there are quite a few part-time jobs in the industry. Number three, there is a big chunk of low-wage jobs. Not everyone's low-wage, obviously, but it is higher proportion, just like most leisure and hospitality businesses. And the, the special folks that work in this industry don't think this bottom bullet is true. <laughs> 
But some people who aren't big skiers might consider the industry having unfavorable working conditions, especially if you've seen the videos of the dudes whacking the ice off the like Northwest Express cable to get it prepped after storm recovery. Like that looks tough. So what we're hearing from businesses and why it's difficult to fill these job vacancies are things that are very specific to your industry, what we're seeing in the ski industry. So we're going to transition and talk more specifically about skiing. But I just wanted to set that stage for you all that this is not something that's unique to you, these challenges that are being faced. And in a lot of ways, you are uh, more set up to experience these challenges based on just some of the realities of the fact that the snow doesn't fall year round, right? It is inherently seasonal. As much as we would love to have um, powder days in July, uh, I think sometimes it's okay to take a break and ride your mountain bike. So let's talk about the ski resorts more specifically. Stop talking about the broader economy. You guys don't care about that. Get this economist guy out of here. Let's talk about ski resorts. If we're looking at employment in ski resorts across Oregon, I did Oregon here just because it was easier. Sorry, laziness here. Uh, I could have done all of them, but they all, the trend looks the same. So ignore the volume. Just look at the trend. Preaching to the choir here. Did you guys know that ski resorts have less employment in the summer than the winter? <laughs> Whoa, I'm an economist. I can analyze trends. That's crazy. Uh, no surprises on you. You guys all know that. Although one interesting thing is to see that the trend has been increasing, right? We just heard conversations about uh, folks trying to expand opportunities on ski resorts, making them more four-season four destinations. That's panning out in the data. We're seeing these resorts doing that and expanding, and that's benefiting you all. That's benefiting the workforce because it's creating, if I could go backwards, it's creating what? Less seasonality, probably creating less part-time, right? Um, and that also increases wages. So like this four-season concept is actually a really important one moving forward for the, uh, for the workforce within these, uh, these ski resorts. But let's look at the blue line above, the winter employment numbers we see there in Oregon, at least. The pandemic did not devastate employment in the ski, ski industry. Now, leisure and hospitality more broadly was just like throttled. Uh, and, and once again, talking about Deschutes County here, the broad industry that ski resorts are lumped under, one in three jobs were lost at the beginning of the pandemic. So ski resorts didn't see that. And it sounds like, you know, kudos to your guys' industry association and your businesses for advocating for yourselves to make sure that you could stay open and you weren't shut down. So like applause to that. You guys did great work. Um, masking in lines felt awkward and weird, but hell, it was so much better to be skiing than it was to be sitting at home, right? So it was um, great to see that. So we didn't see the huge employment losses in ski resorts because of that. Really positive there. What's interesting though, you go to the far right of this, this line here. So this is through December of 2021. So this, the, you know, at that time we were getting a ton of snow. I don't know if you remember that. It was awesome. Uh, our numbers in Oregon were down for the ski industry. Now, I don't think this is a demand issue. I don't think we were seeing losses in employment or a decline in employment in 2021 because of, you know, people not skiing, clearly, right? What's going on here, likely, and I, this is more of a question or maybe feeling out, you might tell me I'm completely wrong here. I think this is the workforce challenges panning out on an employment perspective. You all wanted to hire a certain number of people and you couldn't get to that number. And so it turned out that our seasonal number, our, which should be our peak, we didn't hit it because we couldn't get enough people to fill those jobs. Does that feel right? Or is it the demand was way down and nobody wanted to ski anymore? 
I think it's the other one, right? So this is a reality that's facing us. And this is going to be something that we are continuing to have to face in this industry as we move forward uh, for the foreseeable future. And so thinking outside the box of how do we recruit workers? How do we maintain uh, the workers that we have, not lose them, is really critical moving forward. I have to show this graph because I'm part of this, um, not even a graph, what, do you, what would you call this? <laughs> Something I made in paint, by the way, I learned that one in 1997. Uh, have you used paint before? It's really handy. Uh, so I'm part of a federal pilot with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And this project that Jordan and I worked on where we were tracking ski resort workers in Oregon got picked up by the feds. And they said, that's really cool. Uh, would you be interested in doing a pilot like that where we bunched together a bunch of states' employment wage records. This is super big brother, by the way. So if you're spooked by the government, I'm sorry, but it's getting creepy. I can do all sorts of stuff with your guys' social security numbers. Uh, so what we can do, though, is they said, well, what if every state who has their own wage records, social security number-based employment records, that go back for that individual as long as they're there, includes your wages, includes your name, it includes uh, the name of your firstborn, it includes, no, I'm kidding, it doesn't include that, the industry, the business you worked for, the hours you worked, a wealth of information, Okay. They said, this has all been like independent. Each state has this stuff. But what if we combined all the data together? What, would that give us a better picture of how workers, where they come from, where they go, not just across time and industry, but also across space, including a geographic mobility concept? Where are the workers coming from in, from other states or not? So I said, well, if you'll give us money, I'm gladly do this pilot project for you. But I also want us to stay in the ski industry because it's just kind of fun. And it's a small enough group that uh, it's, we could wrap our hands around it. And they're like, sure, whatever, that's fine. Although we found out really quickly that um, this has been a proof of concept for us. Uh, and um, other states want to jump on board partnering. But ski resort employment isn't particularly helpful for like Texas. So we're going to transition to a different industry moving forward because we realize like we want to sell everyone on this concept. We need to use an industry that they like actually employ in every state. Um, so I think we're going to do construction from here. But anyways, we've done this. And the, for the first time, I'm going to present some of these results we've seen where we can actually see the movement of workers through time and space in the industry. Now, one thing that's really fascinating to me as a labor economist and not fascinating at all to any of you is that there is churn and turnover in this industry. Who would have thought? All the HR directors are like, idiots, of course. Uh, so what we're looking at right now, and I'm going to have to preface some of these graphs because there's a lot going on here. So I'm going to walk us through some of them. So you could stare at them all you want, but you're probably still not going to understand it, even though there's only three bars here. We're looking at the 2018 workers in the ski resort industry. 2018 winter workers, okay? We, I wanted to look at this pre-COVID because COVID has been such a, gotta, we gotta be polite company, I gotta use good words, uh, been such a crap shoot uh, that, um, you know, we, we, we're gonna use numbers beforehand. So in 2018, this workforce, what happened to them the following winter? Where were they, okay? And what we found is, and this is Oregon, Washington, and Idaho combined. Once again, sorry, Alaska, we wanted to include you, but you guys didn't want to be included. Advocate to your state government to be included. We want them in there. Um, but we found that only 53% of the ski resort workers were back the next winter working in a ski resort. That is a lot of churn. That is a lot of churn. That is, um, you know, sort of 
not normal for most industries. But once again, I think the HR directors in the room would probably be like, yeah, yeah, that's what we deal with every year. So like, I know that's normal to you all just saying that's not normal in other industries. It has that seasonal element is in there. Now, interestingly, 22% of them were still employed in the Pacific Northwest, but they moved to a different industry. Okay, that number you might have thought would have been higher. I sure did. Here's the big one over here. We see 25% of the 2018 ski resort workers in the Pacific Northwest not reporting wages in the Pacific Northwest anymore by the next winter. Just not here. Now, there's a couple of things that they could be. They could be unemployed. They could have left the labor force for other reasons. They could have decided, uh, I'm going to go to school. Uh, they could decide they want to play video games. Um, they also could have decided uh, to work a job under the table. So we don't sh we're not capturing those folks there. Um, maybe they're doing some side hustle. Maybe they're doing an Uber driver, whatever it might be. A lot of folks might lump into that, that 25%. The other one is they might have left the Pacific Northwest completely. They're working a payroll job. They're just not in the Northwest. And this is where me advocating for making this a national program, we could actually make that number smaller. So that churn, that's normal. This is not a chart that surprises anybody in this room here. What is a little bit different that we've never been able to do before, though, is track a cohort through many years over time. So if we back up a little bit and we start in 2012, who here was alive in 2012? Sorry, this is <laughs> sorry. Someday that will be someone will not raise their hand and be like, oh, man, I'm old. Uh, millennials are 42, by the way. So that I, as an economist, I always have to say, as a millennial economist, I always have to share that number that is not relevant to you at all right now, but millennials are now 42, so they're not kids today. Um, if we looked at the ski resort workforce in the winter of 2012, and we tracked those workers in the Pacific Northwest through time, every year we're tracking them, every winter, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And what we see is uh, between 2012, 2013, we see that consistent churn, right? We've already talked about the churn. It's almost identical to what it was with that 2018 cohort we just saw here, 53%. Boom, we dropped down to 53.8%. So some churn there, okay? A little bit less churn though, and I wonder if that's just like recovering from the Great Recession. And then every year, that number that is continuing to work in the ski industry is smaller and smaller and smaller each winter, okay? That is expected. But what I think is really important to pull from this chart is that rate of decline gets a lot less declining. It's a formal term. A lot less declining after the third year in the industry. Something is happening where the workers aren't churning out nearly as much once they've been there for a little while, which makes sense. You know, you get some mobility. You get a, you know, maybe you start as a lift operator. Uh, and then you sort of do lift maintenance, and then maybe you are managing the lift crew, and then, you know, whatever you might do, you have some sort of career trajectory that's in there. But basically, if, if a, a ski industry can hold on to you for three years, likely you're sticking with the industry for a while, and people are building careers. And most of these people in this room, by the way, are probably the people who are on this tail, right, who, ha who have built and continue to build a career in here, and in, in creating those opportunities that exist. What's kind of wild to me is that even by the time we get to 2020, of that 2012 workforce, you know, nearly one in five is still there, still working. So, like I said, those who stick around really stick around, but annually you have a lot of churn off the top, right? This graph, I apologize, is the worst. I should have made this two graphs. I should have. I did not, because you're all smart people. We can walk through this and figure it out. This is where we're adding the geographic movement piece. How much do we see you guys all? By the way, when we're talking about the ski resort workforce. You're all included in this data. Your social security numbers are in here. We're not talking about like 
other people. It's you all, okay? Uh, unless you're from Alaska or the Shasta people, you're not in here because I don't have California or Alaska in here, but uh, everyone else is in here. So we're going to ask a couple questions here. One, do we see what, what happens to the workforce in the summer months? Okay. And are, do we see them moving industries or not? Question one. And then also how much mobility across state lines do we see of these workers? These are the things we're trying to answer with this, the, the data here. So the orange bars represent the next summer. So this is winter 2018. Six months later is summertime. You're all familiar with what summer is. What are those workers doing in the summer months? Only focusing on the orange bars. Blind yourselves to blue. I think there's a colorblind variation where you can't see blue shades well. Be that for a second, okay? So uh, only 20%, 21% remained in the ski industry in the same state. That makes sense. We all know that, right? We just talked about how it's, you know, we've seen increasing numbers of summer employment in ski resorts, but still a lot of folks who aren't there. 0.1% moved to a skiing job in a different state. So nobody basically does that. <laughs> Nobody's like, I'm working at Mount Bachelor in the winter, and I decided to go work, live, live and work in Sun Valley at the mountain bike park. Like, that doesn't happen very often, evidently. Uh, okay, we're going to move over again. So employed outside of skiing in the summer months, 36%, okay, a, the, a big chunk there. So they've moved industries in the summer months. Those who have moved industries to a different state, the next one over, 2.2%. This is the largest share that we actually see workers moving across state lines. Moral of the story, we don't see a ton of geographic mobility of this workforce, of your workforce, of you all. You're not moving states that often. You're moving industries back and forth, but you're not moving states that often, okay? Uh, and then finally, on the right here, this is a shocking number. 40.5% are not showing up in our wage records that following summer. So... Once again, I don't think you all are lazy butt sitters playing video games in mom and dad's basement. I don't think that that's happening. Mostly. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got to hesitate just, just, to, just to make you think twice. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what we're seeing is some of that geographic mobility is being captured in this. There are people moving states and they're moving to states that are not in the Pacific Northwest. We are seeing a lot of jobs that aren't payroll jobs. So basically, you have to get a W-2 to be captured here. So the W-2 workers, so maybe they're working a non-payroll job. Uh, we also know that in the summer, there's highly seasonal businesses in other states uh, that take people on that are also not payroll jobs in fishing, in agriculture, and in construction where folks might not be captured. So that's one thing that might be happening here. All right, let's shift to the blue bars, okay? So that was summer months. That's what we were seeing there. The story of the summer is not geographic mobility likely, but industry hopping. And then the summer months, or so this is the winter now, we're shifting gears to what happened in the following winter. So the 2018 workers in 2019, sort of a variation of the first graph we showed. We already saw the left here, the churn rate, only 52% come back each year. Um, those who change industries, we already saw that. The 21% who have shifted industries by the next winter. But what we see is, once again, very little movement to other states. Not a lot of geographic mobility of the workforce. Evidently, Mount Bachelor is not losing workers to ski Bluewood. I saw your guys' truck. That was a cool truck. Uh, anyway, so uh, only 1.4% of the total workforce had moved to a different ski job in a different state. And uh, we've already talked about the 25% uh, who have, just don't show up anymore. So we can dig more, though, into the industry changing. And why would it be important for us to dig into the industry changing? Well, so that you can get them back, right? 
Where are these workers going to in the summer months is really critical because then it gives a pathway to identify how to get those workers back in the winter months a lot easier. So you could limit that churn from one winter to the next. So in this, this is what we're seeing in the following summer. So once again, 2018 ski, winter ski workers, what were they doing in the summer months six months later? Once again, we talked about this already, that huge chunk that just disappeared completely. We don't know anything about them right now. Hopefully someday if this proof of concept of the pilot takes off nationally, we could make that number smaller because we've grabbed the Alaska people. Um, we got this, the number that are still in skiing in the summer months, like that 20%, we've already seen that. Below that are the industries that they've shifted to for those who change industries but are still in the Pacific Northwest. No surprises on the top couple here though, right? So the number one, 10.5% or so have moved to an accommodation food services job. I mean, a lot of jobs in the ski resorts are accommodation food service jobs. So they're just moving to a non-skiing version of that in the summer months, okay? So that makes perfect sense, a direct connection there. We see a pretty large chunk moving to arts, entertainment, recreation, excluding skiing. So that would be people who might be, you know, doing fishing guiding, uh, river rafting, you know, so other sorts of recreation jobs. So those top two make a lot of sense, right? They're almost, you know, they're, you know, that's the summer version of what skiing does in, in the winter months. Uh, down below that, we see construction has a pretty high share of the workforce that they get in, in the, uh, the summer months. Once again, makes perfect sense. Has anyone here, raise your hand, I would love to know this. Has anyone here who works in the ski resorts in the summer months worked a construction job? Higher than 4.1% of hands that I just saw show up right there. Um, that's a pretty normal ebb and flow that we see, right? That folks will work, you know, in highly summer seasonal industries. When you have a highly seasonal winter job, you sort of ebb and flow between those two. So construction shows up there, retail shows up there. And interestingly, the bottom here, professional business services. We, as economists, always are like, well, this is the white collar industry. Uh, and you're like, and you're, you're all like, we're blue collar folks, you know? Uh, we don't do that. Um, it turns out that the business service component of professional business services has a lot of uh, analogous or connections with the ski industry, which one of them is landscaping is all included under there. So once again, highly summer seasonal work that you could see some transition, especially some of the more manual labor work that's done there. So this is where they're going in the summer months. And why is that important for us to know? Once again, it is important for us to know because in a time and place where the workforce challenges that we're seeing are national and across every industry, you all are in an industry where those challenges are even more acute because of some of the realities of a highly seasonal industry, okay? So we're done with graphs, okay? You all feel better, less sweaty. We can sort of cool off a little bit here. Um, let's like brainstorm here a few things, some takeaways. What can we do with this information? How can we change our businesses to be sort of uh, more effective at uh, retaining workers and also recruiting ones in the future? So number one is the one we just talked about here improve retention recruitment through what? Tapping into those business who employ these ski resort workers in the summer months. So that looks like, um, you know, making connections or uh, sending job ads or job fair data to construction firms, uh, having relationships with local restaurants in the towns that you live in, uh, and also, you know, having connections with other recreation facilities. Now, Mount Bachelor is a unique one where they actually own a raft guide service. So they can literally, you know, they've got more and more of that uh, summer employment that they can sort of move their workers around from one side of the business to another. A lot of you don't have that sort of summer element built in, but you can build those relationships with those businesses so that the workforce itself can have more of a seamless transition between 
what it looks like to work in the winter versus what it looks like to work in the summer. So doing that, creating those, those relationships. I think what's also important is a reverse of that, uh, which is how do we think, how do we treat the employee better so that they want to come back to us next year? And one of those things is to pr- help them find opportunities for summer employment. So that could look like, hey, we could have, we're having an all-staff meeting or all hands on deck, and we invite in a, uh, what we call a reverse job fair. We bring businesses in who do summer hiring to our ski resort in the spring months and say, like, here, hire our workers away. Please do. We want them to stay in our town and our community and to be gainfully employed so that they're ready to work in the ski resort again the next winter. So thinking sort of outside the box as far as recruitment and retention. Another one is collaborating. This, this is sort of related here, but collaborating with what uh, Jordan sort of keyed me in on this one a little bit, but this sort of this concept of the broader water workforce. There are a lot of commonalities and connections that we see in the ski industry with other businesses that are out there. And maybe not even formal linkages that we capture in the data here, but ones that make perfect sense for the skills to translate to or the passions of the workforce to translate back and forth to. And when we're talking about the water workforce and we're talking about um, fishing, which Alaska and uh, you know, Washington, Oregon have a lot of commercial fishing that happens mostly in the summer months. Uh, you know, we're talking about other forms of recreation, water recreation, fishing uh, guides, et cetera. And when we actually quantify what this workforce looks like in, uh, this, in this instance, we're talking about the broader Pacific Northwest region. We're capturing Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Alaska, Montana. Sorry, Northern California, I'm still excluding you. Um, you count to somebody though, okay? Wherever you guys are. I heard you guys are getting a new lift, so good, yeah, awesome. It's a big workforce. If we look at all the sort of businesses that are included in this water workforce, uh, you know, we see uh, 91,000 or so workers across these four states that work in this broader industry. And the real key point for this water workforce, they are highly summer seasonal for the most part, which benefits ski resorts. Because if you create more formal linkages with these businesses, you'll be a net beneficiary of the workers because there's a lot more of those folks losing their jobs at the end of summer than there is of folks losing their ski resort job in the winter, as the winter ends. And then finally, uh, the last thing I have for you all is you know, ways to think outside the box. I can't uh, be an economist and come up here and talk to you all, an economist who lives in Bend nonetheless, uh, without talking about housing. It is an acute challenge that's facing us here locally, but it is a challenge that's going on nationally all across the Pacific Northwest. Our communities are becoming increasingly less affordable. In the industries that hurts more are businesses in the leisure and hospitality industry who have the highly seasonal, uh, higher concentration of low-wage workers, uh, more part-time. This is the workforce that is the most uh, harmed by the, the challenges we're seeing with housing costs sort of running away. And it's not just on the real estate side. Our data when it comes to rentals are really crappy. It's not great data. But even that is showing incredibly large increases nationally as far as uh, rentals. And that national number, you know, you could put like an X times two in a lot of our mountain communities right now as far as what the the growth in rents have been. That is is one of the challenges. That is one of the sort of, I like to say, sort of the the hard ceilings as far as our ability to get workers in a lot of these communities is and to grow is the housing constraint. And so businesses who have a higher concentration of workers who are increasingly unable to afford housing have to start thinking about housing as being part of their workforce solutions moving forward. And we're seeing examples of that. Uh, it, it's, it's really easy for people in like Summit County 
to sort of collude together and figure the Summit County, Colorado, um, to sort of collude together and figure out some of these solutions because the workforce there is so concentrated and there's so many of them. And by the way, there's a ton of housing uh, there, not affordable to them, but there's a ton of housing. So there we've seen resorts sort of come together to create unique solutions for more workforce housing. It's harder for us in the Northwest, right? Because all of our resorts are not all clustered like a Frisbee throw away from each other, right? They're all, you know, Mount Bachelor sitting here and the next closest is Hoodoo. Well, Hoodoo's not really that close when you're talking about, you know, workforce housing. You can't really have joint housing between those two resorts. Um, and, you know, you go up the Cascades and you see the same story. We just have, you know, every 30, 40 miles, we have another resort, but we can't really connect workforce housing together. So thinking outside the box, I think is really important here. The best example we have locally of this sort of collaboration and thinking outside the box is Sun River Resort here, not a ski resort, um, but in the summer months, they do surge hiring. They jump their employment numbers dramatically uh, for anticipation of the summer tourism season. They, Sun River, if anyone's ever been there, I'm sure many of you have, you know, it's a housing development community, whatever. It's kind of a weird thing to try to talk about uh, what, what exactly Sun River is. Uh, but the resort itself rents a bunch of houses and they subsidize the housing for many of their employees to stay in these rented homes. So once again, just a reality that they face saying like, we know that this is a hard cap on how many people we, we can recruit. They're saying, we're going to rent at market rate these houses. Actually, they tell me actually worse than market rate. Um, and then they subsidize, though, that cost for employees to take a room within those houses. So like I said, unique solutions there. But it's got to be part of the conversation moving forward for resorts here in the Pacific Northwest. So with that, my time is up. My mouth is dry. So cool. And it's not over yet, because here's the point in the talk show format that Shannon invites Damon over to the couch and has a little more conversation with him. You're also going to hear the audio sound a little bit different because now instead of Damon's one microphone on the stage, there are multiple microphones on the stage, and that makes it sound a little more echoey. Are there are we doing questions? Am I might just, just walking questions, off. Damon. How totally. We do questions. Okay. This, do you need some water? No, I'm good. I'm okay. good. Yeah. Okay. I, I like um, why, don't, why don't you have a seat? Okay. Just I'll join sit. me. So um, I, I appreciate this information. I have, I have a little bit of a headache now, um, so thank you for that. <laughs> That's what you want to hear after giving a talk. <laughs> no, I'm only That kidding. guy was so loud and annoying and <laughs> headache. No, it's just a lot to think about yeah. because, you know, for me, well, I guess I had lots of questions. My first question is, so you, you've mined all this data. Is there any component of this proof of concept that involves you actually going and talking to people and finding out a little more to the story? Uh, thank you. I should. Yeah. I talked to Jordan. Uh, he's here. Uh, yeah, and I would love to hear more from what your experiences are. The, the, the thing is, the data often affirms, this is how it always is, the data almost and should affirm what you all experience. Uh, and whether I'm doing analysis for ski industries or any industry that I might do analysis on, like almost every time the hiring managers are always like, yep, that's what we're seeing. And I'm like, Whew, thank God that's what you're seeing because that's what the data is saying. It would be weird if it didn't, they didn't come together like that. But hearing these stories and like also hearing, you know, how many of these sort of innovative ideas or solutions for addressing the workforce shortage are you all trying to implement right now? I'm sure you're doing half the things that I just said already. And it would be great to hear that from you all too. Well, it would be interesting too, like how many of these people had a baby? You know, I mean, there's things that just like aren't covered in the data. 
Okay, another question. I really appreciate that you're like, we have to start thinking creatively. The, the housing crisis is a big part of this. And like, for me, a question I'm often asking is like, what will it really take for our communities, our cities, our towns to start building housing that actually appropriately reflects the population distribution? And I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Like, what will it actually take? We really have a hard time like solving issues and seeing things, you know, having foresight, doing something with enough lead time to make a difference, like what will it take? Totally. Uh, any uh, politicians in the room? Okay, you have to say yes. Billionaires, do we have any billionaires? Okay. No, uh, the, answer, the answer at the end of the day is we just need to build, 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 build. And it doesn't matter, uh, all types of housing. You know, a lot of our, our mountain town communities in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we get criticized of building a bunch of big mansions, which doesn't help with affordability, right? But the answer is really we build all of all of the things. And uh, it's just a supply issue and in, in building as much of everything we can, including affordable market rate uh, rental units, which is sometimes overlooked in our communities where we see uh, a real underbuilding of multifamily housing, um, which a lot of our workforce, especially entering into the ski industry, would rely on that multifamily housing. When I say that, sorry, that's like a buzzword. Uh, apartments, <laughs> townhouses, condos, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like we in making sure that our communities are building those as well and not just the McMansions. But McMansions are fine as long as we're building all the other things too, right? I guess. <laughs> um, uh, yes. And I also wonder, like, because um, I think the data is really important. We all have, like, our idea of what a thing is or our perception of what is going on. And then, like, the data is really an important part of the story, R really maybe the most important part of the story. And so when we're looking at things like uh, market rate or, like, worse than market rate, uh, what's the story there? Like for me, I, I happen to live in a townhouse and my landlord, they own a bunch of units and their whole thing is that they want to have long-term relationships with their tenants. They want to know their tenants. They want to provide a fair rate. So I'm paying way under whatever this market rate thing is like, what, who's, what's kind of the lay of the land on that? Like who's, do you know any behavioral trends that are happening in terms of like what people are charging, how they're charging and like who's kind of bucking the system and not doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit the Wild West when it comes to housing and housing prices. Unfortunately, there is subsidized uh, housing units that you'll like HUD subsidized housing, which um, a lot of workers likely could benefit from. The problem is there's way more people who would qualify and want to seek sort of a subsidized housing unit than there are units available. So it's like, that's a great concept, but you don't actually have enough of these things. That's a real problem. I think on the other end, we have a, a, an inflation issue too. And, and I didn't, you know, this isn't maybe the audience with the time to talk about inflation. Um, but we have a conundrum going on right now, which is called the wage price spiral. We are simultaneously seeing inflation going up. So workers need more income to compensate for inflation, including higher housing costs. And so the businesses say, yeah, we don't want to lose you. So we give you more wages and they do that. But then they have to do something with that extra cost. So they pass it on to consumers, which does what? creates more inflation. So we're in this sort of spiral that's existing right now. And housing is sort of at the epicenter of that where we feel it the most. Gas as well, because a lot of us have to get, drive to get to work. And so we all feel it there as well. Um, and so it's all sort of in intricately connected, but housing is like this linchpin that has really been causing this, you know, if we could address housing, then some of the other inflation is just not as dramatic or we, we could work around or figure it out. But the housing one is a real problem. Any final wrap-up thoughts that you want to offer us, Damon? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, one, I would love to hear from you all. Um, I, my contact information was there. Yeah, so please reach out to me if, if you've got anecdotes or just anything you want to share. I love to hear stories, and I would probably steal your story and share it in a future <laughs> presentation. Uh, and, uh, and you can reach out to me there. Also, uh, I'm on Twitter, and uh, I'd love to engage with people that way as well, so you could follow me there and uh, hear all the exciting news about what's going on in the labor market. So cool. Well, thank you for coming today, and thank you for sharing all this. It, it is helpful to, to see the bigger picture story. So. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your guys' time. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Well, that was just awesome. Big thank you again to Shannon Kelly for emceeing this whole event and Damon Runberg for being part of it in such a cool, cool way. I also want to thank Hand in Hand Productions in Bend, Oregon, who ran audio, visual, the whole tech scene at the Mountain Works Assembly and was able to pull the audio files from that so we could use them on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. We have a whole slew of more episodes from the Mountain Works Assembly and one more from the Mountain Works conference sessions also. Beyond that, just want to remind everybody, you can be part of this. If you work at a ski area in the Northwest, this podcast is yours. Let's make some cool episodes this coming winter. Hit me up, podcast at pnsaa.org. Or send us a text at 877-533-5520. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so the next episode pops up on your feed. And we'll see you next time when we all learn more about how the mountain works. This concept of the broader water workforce. In the real key point for this water workforce, they are highly summer seasonal, which benefits ski resorts. I'm Goggy Foggle. <laughs>